You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the garage. Welcome to another episode of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined as I always am by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castrone. Hey, Bob. I don't care. Oh, man. This dude's subversive. Don't care. This guy's the new shock jock. Don't on the care. Block. <laughs> Moving on. This guy gets it. <laughs> he's above it all. This guy is, he's what the kids are about. He's subverting the podcast format by not caring at all. It's actually very 90s. It is very, it's very reality bites. Bringing it back. You're essentially a male Janine Garofalo. I'm going full. I see myself more as an Ethan Hawk, but that's fine. I know you would. You hey, fucking would, Bob. Hey, that's my bike. That's my band. If anything, you're like the Ben Stiller character without that success, like having like the convertible. Minus the success. Yeah, yeah that's accurate. The guy that's kind of, he wants to hang with the cool kids, but he's kind of, they all, and they're nice to him. No, they're not. But they're not nice he's to him. kind of a tool. When I was, I rewatched the entire movie recently for no reason at all. I mean, I mean, no reason. I mean, you don't need a reason to watch Reality Bites. I know, but it was one of those, it was a night where uh, I was away on a shoot and I got back at like midnight and I should have gone to bed, but instead I watched Joking all, the chicken. all of Reality Bites. The whole thing. Yeah. Great use of a U2 song in that. It I was, recall. you're right. All I want is you. Best but, use of a U2 song was in the Americans finale. I don't know if you ever plugged in on that, but U2 finally oh. found themselves worthwhile. <laughs> At the end of that series. They use a U2 song? Oh, Ex- now I got to finish it. To the point where I felt something. I was so... To a U2 song. I was so... You feel a lot of things to YouTube, Bob. It's time for you to acknowledge it. Nope. It's all coming out now. Nope. Um, I had to quit that show, Emily and I, because we just couldn't... We didn't it's like it that One much. of the best shows I know. of the I, decade. Everybody says that, but we, we found ourselves... How far in did you get? Drifting. Uh, we watched like the first five seasons or something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, where am I? Where are we? Um, yes. We're in 1996. We're in 1996 again this week. You know what, Bob? We are doing a Matchbox 20 podcast, which is very interesting in that uh, this is my idea. And not because I'm a match- Matchbox 20 fan or Bob's a Matchbox 20 fan. In fact, we're the opposite of that. But I have to tell you something. I wanted to do this album because I wanted us to do an album that would scare us. This is a little scary. Okay. Because I want to tell you something. I was driving to work a few days ago and a certain song from this album came on and um, it it caught me. It got me in the feels. It was kind of like a deep single from this release. Mm -hmm. And it brought back a lot of um, emotional baggage about, why I chose not to like this band during their uh, heyday and whether I didn't like them for the right reasons. And if I actually listened to the album with fresh ears, say as a 39 year old in 2019, would I actually be a fan of Matchbox 20? Something I was, I was tried really hard and successfully tried not to be uh, in the late nineties and early two thousands. Wow. Very brave of you. <laughs> And I feel like the reason this is a good album to hit, despite the fact that it sold 15 million copies, so somebody is probably listening to this because they like Matchbox 20, mm-hmm. is that I imagine you're in the same boat. In the exact same boat. In fact, a couple months ago, I think I had the exact same moment that you had in your car, and I texted you that we should do Matchbox 20, yourself or someone like you. 
and you were on board. But then when the night came that we were going to do it, you got cold feet. <laughs> that and makes I, sense. And I remember you saying flat out, I just can't imagine people finding this podcast and seeing that we did a Matchbox 20 album. And you bailed. And well, here's it. the bravery now. At this stage, and maybe it's because 40's coming up. up. Maybe we'll never get a chance. Uh, you know, it, this garage can burn down with us inside, electrical fire. And let me tell you something about the way this thing's built. That can happen. Oh, so easily. And do you want to die, Bob? Do you want to end up in that box with your brain still working? <laughs> That's not how it works. Uh not having done a Matchbox 20 podcast on this show. Of course not. And that's why we're here tonight, to exactly. finally right some wrongs and give Matchbox 20 a little respect. Well, not necessarily, but I'm... I no, we're, the respect by us, by us honoring chance, them. How about a chance? That's perfect. We're giving them a chance. And uh, here's, here's where is it catch 22, Bob. We're either going to hate it and uh, it's not going to be a very good podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. Or, and this is what I'm afraid of, we're going to have to acknowledge that we like it quite a bit. And that does, it's just not a great look. This podcast, no, it's not, especially not in 2019. <laughs> With all due respect to Rob Thomas and his friends. This we pod- don't need that. This podcast has already made us realize that we're huge <laughs> Dave Matthews fans. We went from not liking Dave at all to being huge Dave Matthews fans. Yes. So and that's happened. And there's one other band that, uh, let's not name them yet, but... If you're a fan of this pod or if you're friends with us, you know who we love during this era that, you know, very close to Matchbox 20. Yeah, we'll talk about them a lot in this episode. But I was right there with you. If you asked me in 96, 97, 98, how I felt about Matchbox 20, with no hesitation, I would say they suck. Tool bags, man. Don't like them one bit. 2007, if you asked me, probably would have just dragged my feet a little and been like, I don't know. I don't I never I never got into them. But here we are, 2019. What year is it? It's a long, long time away from 1996. Bob, it's 2019. Yeah. And guess what? I'm ready. All right. What was happening, Bob, when the, the Matchbox 20 album, you, what the fuck is it called? <laughs> Yourself or someone like you. Yourself or someone like you was released, let's say, in July 1996. It's going to hit. We're going to hit that one band a lot quicker than you thought. This album came out on October 1st, 1996. Ooh, interesting. Two weeks before another <laughs> soft covering rock band the satellites released. Recovering. Soft rock band. Don't you know, you don't get soft on me now, Bob. No, the counting crows, a band that you and I adored, uh-huh. uh, and, and fought for and defended for decades for a long time. Uh, and saw live well past their expiration saw date. Live. We saw them with live. With live, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but they were a contemporary of Matchbox 20. And, and the same month that this album came out, one of the most highly anticipated albums of our teenage years was also coming out, Recovering the Satellites. Yeah, and uh, in fact, although Bob and I like Recovering the Satellites quite a lot, and check out our Reco- Recovering the Satellites episode, um if you want to hear our thoughts on that album. But this album was the thing that the record label wished the Counting Crows would have put out. Exactly. And we knew that. We fucking knew that in 1996. And, and that bothered us. And that bothered us. All right. But okay. What was going on in that, uh, in that time period, Bob? Eh, nothing. I don't know. Listen to the Recovering the Satellites podcast. A pop-up video came out. Just, just say you didn't want to do the research. Pop-up. This is our second pot of the night. Well, that's fine. 
Well, no, because we already hit this month in recovering the satellite. What do you mean? We did that podcast like three years ago. Go find it. It's right there, right there on <laughs> iTunes. Just scroll down for a second. I'm not going to do your job for you people. I like it, Bob. Wow. It's really misplaced, <laughs> but I enjoy it. All right. Uh, I, will, I, I do know the research you did do, Bob, was that uh, we have the number one United Kingdom Yeah, this was the number single. one track in the United Kingdom when this album came out. Speaking of things I'm a little sheepish about, because I fucking love this song. We've got nothing in common, no common ground to start from, and we're falling apart. Because if you like Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something, I mean, you're not, you're not probably like the toughest dude. No, you're absolutely, <laughs> there's nothing I'm more sure of that you're not the toughest dude. But when the song was popular, I just couldn't get enough of that. If I, were to, if I were to get in a bar fight with somebody random, it's like, all right, first up, who likes Deep Blue Something? The guy who raises his hand, I'm just fucking decked. He is punching his heart. You know what I like about it? It's just so 90s. It's like something definitely Ross and Rachel would fuck with. Oh, absolutely. Like Phoebe, that, Phoebe wouldn't get down to this shit, but this is a Ross and Rachel, Ross and Rachel fuck jam. Yeah, a total fuck jam. It, it would get them super horny, get them <laughs> horned up, and then they'd go to the bedroom. What was she, to the left or the right? Wasn't she to the right? I believe, yeah, she was to the right, and Ross would just pound her out. <laughs> With that 13-inch monster. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Uncircumcised. No, Ross is cut. Yeah, He's Ross shit, was right? obviously yeah. cut. Yeah. Don't worry. He was cut. He got the mushroom head. He's got the mushroom dip. Matchbox 20 fan listening to the podcast for the first time. Just fucking appalled right now. Just go back one episode. Anyway. Deep Blue Something. One of the better um, one-hit wonder like trivia questions yeah, for basics. I re- and I remember 96. I remember you and our friend Sam both really liking the song. I was kind of met on it. I liked it, but not as much as you guys did. And I've read some criticisms in more recent years that it was one of the worst songs oh, of I don't the 90s. Think, I don't think that at all. Um, and I see why people would say that because there's, there's maybe not a ton to it. But I like songs sometimes that just kind of make you feel good. So You're like, fuck you. <laughs> You're looking at a guy who very recently fell down a Proclaimers wormhole on YouTube. So, you know, I'm not like above Deep Blue something. There is a Proclaimers vibe to this as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. There you go. So that was the um, number one song in the UK. The UK. Is that song you'd want to be buried to? No, that's Robbie Williams. Still, Angels. Still Robbie Williams. Guys. <laughs> I mean, we love our listeners overseas, but you guys have so much pull. good good music. What are you doing over there? Together. Sometimes you want to yeah. talk about real music, real rock music, real music to get buried to. Meet my friend. You know his name, Rob Thomas. I almost forgot it, Robert. Well, I wonder what it's like to be the I wonder what it's like to know that I made the ring. 
I'm being I'm being 100 honest. Yep. The second the song started, I looked at our little recording device here to see how deep we were into the episode. It's like 11 minutes, and my immediate thought was, "Can we stop now and just start a new episode?" <laughs> I swear to God, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> No, Bob. We're in. But then he started now. singing, and I, I'm, 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 I'm not feeling that anymore. But I get this funky high on a yellow sun. Now I'm feeling it again. And you can go and meet me when you're done. Um, I just want to go back, and if you're looking for a reason why Matchbox Twenty is not a good band, uh, it's the opening guitar riff. That's a that's pretty cheesy. It, it has zero teeth. As musicians, we could say this. Right. There's zero teeth to that guitar, uh, and I feel like it just kind of sets the tone for the album in a bad way. But then I kind of like this part. I kind of like this part. So here we go with the slippery slope. On. There's there's a lot to uh, there's a lot of singles on this album. This is one of them. Uh, it was released in June '98. So we're talking major legs, Bob. Wow. And um, quite a big hit. In fact, it was the band's first single to chart on the Hot 100, peaking at number 38. And reached number five in Canada, because of course. And number 40 in Australia. Wow. And it should also be known, Bob, this was the time when Matchbox 20 spelled their band numerically 20. Mm. Later on, they spelled it out. Was there a formal... There was a switch. switch oh, wow. Plug in, bro. <laughs> I'm not plugged in, How I guess. How are you not plugged in, Bob? Um, so, you know, real world. So what's your prediction? Are we going to end this episode as quasi-2019 Matchbox 20 fans? Where do you think this ends before we continue? I, I'm telling you, Bob, by the time this, this podcast is over, we're going to... We're going to have some conflicting feelings. Are we still going to be friends? Like, I think a lot could happen tonight. I think we're going to be friends and we're going to have a secret that we're going to have to share with our listeners. And nobody else? And nobody else can know. That's my feeling. Oh, man. All right. You ready for track two? Just another thing we have to hide from our wives. <laughs> I think they'd be cool with it. Like, oh, we'll see Rob Thomas. The overcoat, the second shelf, the notes she wrote that I can't bring myself to throw away. And I'll so reach set for no one else but you Cause you won't turn away when someone else is gone I'm sorry about the attitude Does ring a bell? No, not at all Of course, it's going to get you, buddy Really? And I'm so terrified of no one else but me I'm here all the time Yeah, well, I can't get myself to go away. Hey, it's me. Dirt. So dirty. I'm supposed to recognize this? You don't. This is not at all. You know why I think I know is that. My first college roommate, Josh, was a huge Max, Matchbox 20 fan. And this song, this album, I think, got a lot of play in, in the uh, dorm. 
That makes sense. Yeah, and, no, I've never heard this before. Uh, and but I thought this was a song that kind of was on the radar a little bit. But yeah, uh, kind of into it. Not bad. Kinda into it. Not a single bump. Kind of like it. So the Duritz dynamic of it. Adam Duritz is the lead singer of the County Crows. There they, was. A, they know. They know. That. <laughs> there was. There was definitely. If you were a County Crows fan who was, you know, pounding the table that County Crows need to be taken seriously after 1994, which you and I were leading that charge because we loved recovering the satellites. We loved this desert life. Mm-hmm. We loved those albums. Maybe in Hard Candy. Not bad. Not bad. Not as bad as, as, it, as it kind would get. of is remembered or, or as it would get. Yeah. Um, but it felt like, and I put Matchbox 20 kind of in the same class as Train, where bands that clearly popped up in the wake of the Counting Crow success from August and Everything After, I resented them mm-hmm. as ripoffs rather than embraced them as, oh, I like all this, the sound of this music because I like the Counting Crows. But in reality, I think I probably, if I would just would have listened to the songs, I would have enjoyed them. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like... The long I feel like, you know, there were bands that the Counting Crows liked that I felt like I was allowed to like. Like, I liked Cracker that has a sound like this. Right. Then actually when Train came out with Meet Virginia off that first album and they were, I saw them open for Ben Folds and I was like, okay, I can like these guys. Like there were bands I thought I was allowed to like, but Matchbox 20 always felt like the enemy. And Counting Crows had really good influences. So it was very cool to, oh yeah, Van Morrison or the band. Big star, like uh, big it, star, yeah. all those seventies um, and eighties artists that that uh, that was okay, uh, but the bands that came after Counting Crows it was a little complicated. But there were some songs, Bob, that were hard to deny. Some songs that would keep you up, keep you up at three a.m., Bob. Oh. So specific, it can only be the title of a song. <laughs> so oddly specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says that happiness is a madhouse, is on a doorway. It was good. Thank you. She said it's cold outside and she hands me my raincoat. She's always worried about things like that. She said it's all gonna end and it might as well be my fault And she only sleeps when it's raining And she screams And her voice is strange Lighters up She says, baby Ooh. You scream, I must be lonely She says, baby Rachel getting fingered by Ross. <laughs> Clearly getting fingered to the song. And uh, Monica's like banging on the wall. Guys, quiet down. Quiet. <laughs> Turn down that Matchbox 20. There has to be like friends fucking fan fiction out there, right? Wasn't there um, actually legitimately huge controversy? Well, it would have been even bigger if it happened today, but that the writer's room on the set of Friends got in trouble for writing something, some type of script about 
like hardcore sex involving the female stars? Well, I just know it was do the, the do the research. There was a, there was a lawsuit where it was like not a writers. There was like offensive stuff happening in the room back in the day. Um. Anyway, uh, three a.m. is maybe the signature Matchbox Twenty song. It was it topped the Canadian charts, Bob, for two weeks, and it topped the U.S. Billboard Adult Pop Songs chart for ten weeks. There's some type of weird um, catch in how the Billboard 100 charted at the time. Uh, so it didn't have a official single release on that, but it would have probably been a top 10 hit. Maybe yeah. number one. Uh, and I don't know. Like when it comes on the radio and it still does. Sometimes I'll leave it on. Sometimes <laughs> I change it immediately. Yeah, yeah. Because it's been played so much. But uh, it's kind of a hard song to deny. Oh, wait, it's coming back. You know Thomas had this one in the holster. The doormat. This part coming up right here. In the clock on the wall, I've been stuck at three for days. She thinks that happiness is a map that sits on her doorway. But outside, it stopped raining. Durrett's also ha- kind of had the corner on rain at this point. <laughs> so, like, Thomas is coming for Durrett's rain corner. I want the rain. Which is a big corner to try to take. That would be like if all of a sudden he started saying shine or something. <laughs> exactly. It would be like, step take, back, bro. Can't take Liam Gallagher's shine corner. You do not take Adam Durrett's rain corner in He's literally the rain king, dude. Come on. Straight up, bro. Do your research. <laughs> and, in fact, you know Thomas did the research, and he... This band was setting out to destroy the County Crows. Let's that's, connect the dots here. That's what it felt like. And I think that's why. That and they kind of did. We, they kind of did. We as County Crow fans did not like it for one second. We, we smelled it. We, we were denying it that mm-hmm. this was good or this was, you know, going to be popular. Or this was the new version of the most popular version of this type of music. Yep. And uh, we just got buried by Rob Thomas and co. The problem was that they kept on fucking putting out. Monster singles. It was a total offensive. Oh, what could we do? What could we do, Dan? As two 16-year-olds <laughs> in fucking Pearl River. We couldn't help them. Limited in our we resources. We could not help the Counting Crows. I'm looking at the band too. Like County Crows had the nerdiest rock band of the '90s. Right. It was really tough to get behind. I mean, the band is cool. And they, they, had, had a- they had a guy in the Mr. Jones video wearing an air freshener around his neck. Not just in the video. I know. And well, then they're it on SNL. Out, he's doing then it. it. Turned out that was just a thing he kept doing. He always had that air freshener around his neck. Yeah, like I'm gonna say that Matchbox 20, not the coolest group of guys. Rob Thomas, a handsome, generic white guy, is the lead singer. The rest of the band, you know, a bunch of guys from Chess Club, basically. But Counting Crows had a guy that wore the air freshener around his neck. Air the lead freshener. guitarist, no less. 
And there's the other guy who just looked like a dorky little music teacher with his floppy hair and his glasses. We, I mean, we had a lot of work to do, Bob. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It and wasn't easy. I, th- I think we've made this clear to the uh, to the people listening because I think the conceit of this entire episode is very. We're asking a lot of our listeners right now to really kind of see it because we share this this feeling of like we're in the same boat of like the Counting Crows were the kings and Matchbox Twenty came and dethroned them. I don't think that was a popular opinion at the time. That was just for me and you in Pearl River in 96. It might have even been unspoken between us. But it, it was I don't just think something we, we intrinsically felt. I don't, think we ever ta- I don't think we ever talked about it. But here we are 20 plus years later. Ready to talk. Ready to fucking <laughs> get into it. Uh, by the way, this song, when it came out, some feminist groups were outraged and claimed the song was about abusing women, even though frontman Rob Thomas stated that the man in the song, either himself or fictional, was the one being abused either emotionally or physically, by a woman, that wouldn't fly any better in 2019. Still a tough sell. Yeah. But you know what? That hook will. This will get so crazy, Uh, he expressed surprise when it was uh, when he was told he was, it was uh, misogynistic. He added, "An ex of mine was an ingredient in the song, but other people have scarred me. I mean, I'm not going to pay my third grade librarian who gave me shit about not returning green eggs and ham. The fuck is Rob Thomas? Have? Going? What's going on with him and women? <laughs> the fuck is Rob Thomas is talking that? about? Where the fuck did he A go? A librarian? <laughs> green eggs and dude, what the fuck is wrong with you?" Um. All right, listen. Uh, so far, Bob, this is what we got: three hit singles and a deep track that I quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so far, Bob, how you feeling? I feel like you know we've we've done Semisonic on this podcast. We've done the Counting Crows. I feel like this is. No, not worse than that stuff. We like need a it, really shitty song, Bob. We do. Maybe it's Girl Like That. Let's listen. Let's hope so. Think there's a life would make me bolder, but I'm Looking promising. <laughs> well, I hang on everything about you. You think I'd settle down because I'm older, but I will I should say one more thing, Bob, because we always note this. An extract of the song, Push, was used in Weird Al Yankovic's song Polka Power off the album Running With Scissors. Ooh. Thank you for that. Like this is kind of Castro Boulevard. I mean, there's nothing... <laughs> Wait, is this our favorite rock album of all time? There's nothing I don't like about this so far. Fuck you! I think there's only one thing to do, Bob, is burn down the fucking garage. This is it, guys. What if we just never do another episode? That's, this is when we knew it was time to get yeah. out. Feels right. I mean, if it gets any hotter in this podcast, it might just pass out and die anyway. You have so. to stand up like I'm, like I'm doing. It's nice. Standing up will help? Yeah. Like nah, I don't know. 
That's so, that's too much work. Girl like that. All right, that was not the the shit bomb I was hoping for. You know, the cast of Friends when they went out to that Hootie and the Blowfish concert, and that was a big deal for them to right. to go. Some could afford it, some couldn't. It's like a few years later, they they could have gone to Matchbox Twenty together and liked it just as much. This has a very Hootie, cracked rear view vibe to it in a way that even the Counting Crows never did. Yeah. Counting Crows, that was a huge debut album, but Hootie blew the doors open for all this type of music to the next level and right. saturated the market. Like really. the Counting Crows always fastened themselves more in that Van Morrison mode where they sort of uh, had those longer songs where they were messing around with melody and tempo. Like this is like college rock the way like Hootie did it. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it makes sense that this would be big. This is like who Hootie they passed over the Counting Crows and gave the torch to Matchbox 20. And this album was locked, was locked and loaded for mass destruction to destroy Adam Duritz's life. 12 songs, Bob, which is the ultimate locked and loaded, I'm ready to take over the world number of songs. Mm-hmm. The front loaded with five singles in the first six tracks. Man. I mean, this Rob, is a weapon of mass destruction, Bob. Rob Thomas knew exactly what the fuck he was doing. And here's the song that I heard on the radio this week, Bob, that stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> I think I know what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. And it occurred to me while I was listening to Back to Good, and two, by the way, is the number two, for whatever reason, like their fucking boy band, um, that this is their version of Around Here. Oh, interesting. You just stand there. I could say so much. And it's also a good, like, slow burner, Bob, where it just keeps building. (laughs) So I got to tell you, Bob, like, I hear this song and I'm thinking to myself, how did the 17-year-old, 16-year-old version of me shut this out? Because I would have absolutely loved it. I just missed it, apparently. It's Brussels sprouts, man. It's because your mom (laughs) wanted you to eat it. That only makes some sense. You have to wait until you're 27 and you try it with bacon and you're like, I kind of like Brussels sprouts. This was just something that you didn't want to eat. Like it was, it was being presented to you and you didn't want it and you just refused to give it any chance whatsoever. 
Hey, you want to hear something crazy? Back to Good was the band's biggest hit song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Again, there was a technicality what? earlier. Okay, yeah, yeah. Peaking at number 24 in 1999, Bob. The album came out in October 96, and this song was huge in 99. I remember this in college, yeah. I remember this being one of those songs in college where I would secretly like it. Never talk about it, but it would come on and I would not turn it off. And I felt horrible about it. <laughs> uh, back to you, Bob. Like, I just want to listen to the rest of the song right now. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I know you do. Because look, this is what I like about this song, okay? In terms of the structure. It seems like it's kind of over now, right? Yeah, it could be. Watch. He's got more to say. Everyone he wants to hit it again. This is goddamn November rain, Bob. <laughs> anyway, I don't know, man. So we're we're how deep into the album now? We're too deep, man. We're, <laughs> we're in too, too deep. deep. Let's end it. It's over. Call it. It's over. Uh, no, we are um, we are halfway through, Bob. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. That was six. And like the rest of the album could be Rob Thomas farting into a microphone on a toilet. I would like them even more if that's what they did. <laughs> and first of all, would be extremely punk. And this so would become punk. In addition to the greatest album of all time, the greatest punk album of all time. <laughs> um, but they will have already, you know, done what they set out to do, which is destroy the Counting Crows. Imagine if uh, somebody put out an album of six songs of adult contemporary classics. Followed by six songs of farting into a microphone. Like on Thanksgiving night. Like only Kanye could do that. <laughs> and people would be like, brilliant. Uh, here's Dan. So let's 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 go back into our heads. 16, yeah. 17 year old us. Do you think so we both had this unspoken thing that they were coming for the crows. Do you think if Rob Thomas was hotter, we would have been a little more open? Here's my thinking. The fact that he was not a hot lead singer. I think there's a lot of female fans. There are, but he he's kind of like goony. You know, that kinda, would be way into it. Kind of looked a bit like a goon. Well, he like you weren't looking he at Rob. Feuded with Stephen Jenkins, right? Who was hot? Stephen Jenkins is Stephen, a hot. He dude. was a hot, but a hot prick, right? Um, but let me finish my point. And then yeah, we'll talk I'll let about you finish. Feud. Go ahead. Do you think that him being sort of like goonish and not super attractive, it was that was also kind of like Adam Duritz's corner? So it was like almost a little more offensive. Whereas if he was a Stephen Jenkins, you would have been able to kind of place them in that category of like, oh, yeah, they got this hot lead singer and they wouldn't have been. We wouldn't have taken them as such a serious threat to our beloved crows. Um, I think your argument is set on shaky ground. Obviously, this whole episode is set on very shaky ground. Um, because... I think a lot of people think this guy is good looking. Whereas no, I don't. But I mean, I kind of. But I don't think anybody in '96 was like, "Who's this hot front man?" No, but Adam Duritz was a very specific. He had a look, but no one would say that Adam Duritz was confi- like conventionally attractive. 
Except, Whereas, for ha- except for half the cast of Friends. Right, but they bought into this other aesthetic of his. But, like, Rob Thomas was was attractive in a very relatable, bland way, which is not Duritz's mm. corner at all. No, that's not his thing, but I, I don't know. He just had, like, a like kind of looked like one of the guys from the Adam, like, Lurch from the Adams family, with, like, a bad haircut. Are we talking about the same guy? Yes. <laughs> Lurch at, from Adams family? Look at Rob Thomas in, like, the 96, like, in those videos for Push or whatever. Um... I just think it's kind of amazing that uh, Stephen Jenkins of Third Eye Blind made fun of Rob Thomas for getting fat when he, when Rob Thomas got hooked on cocaine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> did you pull that up? We should talk about that. <laughs> I quite like that. Um, I'm trying to find the story, but the general gist of it is that Rob Thomas, um, in the wake of the massive success of this album, which sold like 15 million copies. No joke. Um, he developed a drug habit, and it was cocaine, and it led to him gaining a significant amount of weight. Which maybe that's the version of Rob Thomas you're thinking of with the lurch stuff. Um, and Stephen Jenkins chose to uh, go after Rob Thomas for his physical um, issues he was having at the time. Like, look, look at this dude. That's Rob Thomas in 1996. He wasn't a hot guy. He kind of looked a little weird. I think that I think he's fine. I mean, uh, we're just going to have to agree to disagree there, Bob. I didn't know he was your type. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm going to find it right now. All right. You don't like Third Eye Blind. This is the question from a spin reporter. Uh, and he replies, no, and I don't care who knows it. Stephen Jenkins made fun of me, called me a fat guy. Screw you. He has no soul whatsoever. (laughs) More dish, please, the spin reporter asks. By the way. Nice spin reporter. That's a fucking dignity spin reporter. (laughs) More dish, please. He and his band got into a fight once because he wanted to put just his picture on their T-shirt. I just think you are walking, breathing, living cheese. Wow. Come on. 90s feud. <laughs> well, they didn't sell as many albums as you. That's got to feel good. And then Thomas writes, yeah, he's a good arch enemy. It reminds me that I don't want to be someone people meet and think is entirely self-centered. Wow, that's great. Well, I told you, I'm looking for it right now. Um, one of our one of our fans over on uh, Twitter tweeted us a uh, quote from, or a tweet from uh, the lead singer of Jimmy Eat World, who also recently shot on Stephen Jenkins. That's right. So apparently this guy's a real human gutter ball. I like him. All right, here's Cody. We're getting into the back end now, Bob. We, we kind of spun through damn and argue. Here's Cody. Well, there's a squeak hinge down in the back gate It lets us know if he comes around but I don't sleep that good anyway now. And if you've never heard that silence, it's a god awful sound. So please hand me the bottle. I think I'm lonely now. This is fucking fantastic. I'm gonna listen to this on the way home. <laughs> I mean, this is way better than the ninth track of this album has any right to be. I know. Fuck. 
So I found uh, back to Stephen Jenkins uh, at Mark Mad Sounds uh, shared this with us. Zach Lind from uh, Jimmy Eat World tweeted on August 3rd, Stephen Jenkins is such a fucking creepy douchebag. <laughs> I feel so much better now. So then people started you know, asking him questions and coming at him. And uh, he said, for those of you saying I should have said my piece in person, A, you don't know I didn't. And B, you're coming to the defense of someone who literally redrafted his band's recording contract for his own benefit on the eve of signing and didn't tell his bandmates until years later. Sounds like a cunning businessman to me. What a well, hold on. Now that makes that's me, what I did with this podcast. That makes me you. question everything about what we're doing here. <laughs> wow, what a douche! I did, I don't. Yeah, I don't really follow that. He, I guess, he got himself a bigger cut of the royalties. I'm assuming he like swapped in the contract <laughs> with a new one that got him more money. <laughs> and awesome. until that's awesome. I love it. What a heel. He's great. Uh, here's Busted. Bob, you know we're doing a Matchbox 20 podcast, by the way. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. Wait, is it too late to stop and not do this? I will say for with his with his vocal twang, mm-hmm. that kind of doesn't sound right to me. Everything that was happening in that it song. can get annoying sometimes. That's a County Crows fan saying that, and Adam Duritz, his vocal twang has but, driven some people mad. Right, but I I think in the first two or three albums, Duritz stayed in his lane, whereas that song felt like he was trying to Rob Thomas was trying to do something that doesn't really fit his vocals. Okay. Hey, listen, that's great news. Whew. We got we got a, a mid album filler right oh, there. Thank God. Unfortunately, it's late album album filler. <laughs> it, it took till track ten for us to find oh, a song we could hey. oh. get behind against. Can sleep soundly tonight knowing I don't like track ten. I don't love every song on the Matchbox <laughs> Twenty album. Oh my God! Thank God. All right, here we go. Shame. Speaking of here we go. I guess the point, the ultimate point for me is that um, when you're a music fan and you're young, you do tend to get very hung up on what other people will think about. I'm not saying this for every, every kid, but I think the average teenager wants to find music they like, and they also don't want to ever be an outcast, ever. So, not that... You know, being a Matchbox 20 fan would be an outcast. But I feel like where we were, we didn't want to have too much too much wood on the fire, if you will. That's fair. Because we also, we liked the Counting Crows kind of quietly amongst the two of us. But we also liked Nirvana. And I think Pearl. it was not so much that we were being quiet about, it's that we didn't have that many there friends. There was nobody else to really talk about. Well, who else were we going to talk about the Counting Crows with? But we, mean, had, we didn't have a huge social circle to share it with anyway. That's, I mean, that's mostly true. But it's also, we had other friends that we shared Nirvana with. We had other friends that we shared Weezer with or Oasis with. Yeah. Counting Crows, we kind of kept between the two of us. Didn't and, have a lot of people to share that with. And something like Matchbox 20, the last thing you want to bring to the table is, hey, guys, here's this other band that's kind of like the Counting Crows. Do you guys want to want to get right. in on this with us? 
I'm thinking there was a guy that we went to high school with that unabashedly was into all these bands. And I remember thinking that guy was kind of, you know, lame. Was he a teacher? He was not a teacher. Okay. I'll tell you off air. Okay. Uh, who it was. And you'll go, oh, right, Makes right. Makes sense, right. And when you leaned in too hard to these, you know, bands, it wasn't a great look. You're allowed to like... You're in the al- moment. I think you're allowed to have one. Yes. And and the reality, though, actually, is that it shouldn't fucking matter. No. You should like whatever you want. But well, that's just not what it's like when you're a teenager. Well, maybe now, but back in 96 where there weren't, you know, websites you can go to where you can talk about these kind of things with other like-minded fans, you really did feel like you were on an island. Right. So to put yourself out there and have somebody tell you that your island sucked was scary. Or was lame. Or was lame. Or so you wouldn't do that. And, you know, girls in high school didn't have to contend with this. I feel like if you were a girl, you could like whatever you want, and you could like as many of these types of bands you want and any type of genre you want. But it was something, I think, about being a teenage boy that it was a little bit loaded in terms of it it kind of identified who you were as a person. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, you didn't want to have too much of this. Again, wood on the fire. But it's... Yeah, no, I agree. But now I'm also thinking, like, how come it was okay for us to also like the Wallflowers? Or if if we liked the Goo Goo Dolls, which I don't think either of us did, I think that would have been okay, too. But there was something specific about Matchbox 20 that wasn't okay. And they came along a little bit later when things were shifting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, this is Hang. You know, I love when an album ends on a contemplation. Wait, we're here? We're at the end? This is it. Wow. Kind of powered through it. Because it was, it was too real, Bob. We have, to get, real. we have to get the fuck out of here. Bury, um, bury this episode. Pretend it never happened. Um, that would be that would be the cowardly thing to do, Bob. That would every lesson that we've taught ourselves in this episode mm-hmm. would not be learned, or wouldn't be locked in our brains as it should. Right. And you know what? I will say, I heard uh, Rob Thomas on a, another podcast recently. Not this one. A different podcast. Oh, and okay. um, Rob Thomas wasn't interviewed on our podcast. No, not on our podcast. <laughs> and he was such a cool dude, like completely aware of who he is. Talked about this album and what be, it was like to be a Frankenstein monster, be a big fucking lurch goon back in the 90s. Uh, nobody talked about like the fear of them being a one hit wonder. And when that second album came out and there was a hit on it how it was like the biggest relief of his life, which is crazy to think about a guy who sold 15 million albums still not believing in himself. Oh, that's interesting. And needing that validation of the second album. So it was just a really cool interview to hear him uh, I have, be like a real person. Um, I want to... They had some songs after this album, as you're saying. None of them... Not many of them did much for me, but there was oh, one I, song... I disagree with that. What? There, there was... Oh, what song? There were more bangers? There was a lot I, more bangers. I, well, you're going to say one song. Maybe it's I want to pick out one of. song on the excellently titled uh, Greatest Hits record, Exile on Mainstream, which there's a level of self-awareness that I respect there. OK. Um, uh, and this was the single off that Greatest Hits, which became a, a pretty decent sized hit in its own right. Uh, so I want to play that right now. It's called How Far We've Come. Are they coming after Accidentally in Love? Is this the Shrek song? Fuck you guys. It's a better version of the same song. God damn it. 
got us feeling just like every other morning before Now I wonder what my life is gonna mean if it's gone The cars are moving like a half a mile an hour And I started staring at the passengers and waving goodbye Can you tell me what was ever really special about me all this time? But I believe yes. the world How about you, Bob? Throw out another Matchbox 20 song, Rob Thomas song. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to throw out Rob Thomas smooth. I'm not going to do that for you. I know that's what you're... Here's Bob's pick. That's what you're baiting me into. No, don't do it. You just made Rob Thomas more money by doing that. Fuck. (laughs) Rob Thomas just made $3. (laughs) Uh, I was going to pick a song off of Mad Season, their 2000 album. So... After the three-year dominance of that first album, you thought maybe... It was their recovering satellites. You would get a little break from them. But no, their next album had some big hits on it, including If You're Gone, which I think is a great song. No, no, this is not that. This is smooth again. Six (laughs) dollars. I remember this song, but you know what? I it kind of reminds me of uh, back to back to good or whatever. It's very similar. It's in that same world. Uh, let's listen to this it. one has such a sweeping chorus though that uh, this has Jen Lobo in it. It gets me every time, as I recall. There it is. All right, let's listen. I think I've already lost you. I think you're already gone. I think I'm finally scared now. You think I'm weak. I think you're strong. <laughs> I think you're already leaving. Feels like your hand is on the door. Bob in his dorm room. I thought this place was on Staring at his desktop computer with this, a little beach ball, the 3D deep beach ball, thinking about his girlfriend. This song could have come out right after my uh, college girlfriend and I broke up, so it probably <laughs> hit the mark in a lot of different ways. This is my life and I think I'm scared. I think too much. I know it's it wrong. Is. It's a problem I'm dealing if you're gone. Maybe it's time to come home. Yeah, this got played in my dorm fucking constantly. It's my roommate. <laughs> I like the part at the end of the song where like there's some type of outro and the horn comes in. Mm-hmm. Do you know the part? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking right. about because I listen to this song a lot. I think this is it. Come home. There's a little bit the end of the song. Pretty good, Bob. They got some good songs. You know, I think Smooth basically buried him for me too. Like that I That did not help. I just I couldn't I couldn't deal with it anymore. And that obviously came out after you know two first albums, but it was like, all right, Rob Thomas is set up for the rest of his goddamn life now. I mean, from ninety six to oh one, could you ask if you're a musician, could you ask for a better five year period of hits and collaborations? And feuds. And feuds yeah. and drugs. 
He did it. He's basically rock and roll personified. <laughs> Rob Thomas. Who knew? Even though he looks like a fucking Adams Family character. <laughs> I just I cannot Dan, believe that. That Dan is into. <laughs> Uh, all right, here we go, Bob. Let's pick a song. No, we're for not the doing throwback that. podcast First, playlist. We're not doing that. We have to thank the we have to blame the people who made this episode possible on patreon.com slash throwback pod. Okay. The people that contribute every month to keep this podcast afloat. We would be we you would know, we be, could pick the song, Bob, and then do this. No, we can't, because then it's over. There's no reason to keep listening. Don't you know Listen anything about television and podcasting and Listen media? To his mania. You need to save something for the end. Oh. Well, thank you, Bob. Why would anybody come back after a commercial break if there was no more content? There is no commercial break. This is the commercial. <laughs> it's a really good commercial. We have to talk about this off air. <laughs> you need to understand how this, this, is, how part of the this is how commercials work. <laughs> this is the thing that we need to do to thank the people. Patreon.com slash throwback pod. Deliver even, even two bucks a month. And it makes a big difference. It helps keep the show afloat. And if you go into that top tier, you could even pick an album that we do. Yeah, like Bruno, the sponsor, and next up, Courtney and Wyatt. So thank all of you guys for contributing. And we would have never discovered we were Matchbox 20 fans if not for you. <laughs> was this on the list? Was no, it? this, oh, was, this okay. was just us. This was just you and me both individually <laughs> coming, coming to the, to conclu- the same, conclusion. same conclusion that we had to do this. Um, but yeah, I'm, we should do that episode soon. The top sponsor episode. We will. Yeah, let's get into that. All right, now, but is it okay now? Is the commercial over, Bob? Yes, it is, Dan. Now here's that content they were waiting for at the end of the episode. All right, okay, you you're right, Bob. Okay, now let's let's pick the song, Bob. I have in my head two songs. Let, uh, let me hear what you're thinking because okay, you, you okay. have them in front of you. I don't. I love "Back to Good." Uh, it's a song that kind of sparked the idea. Uh, to create this, the greatest episode of the Throwback Podcast. <laughs> uh, and then I really do like uh, the second track, Long Day, which is a little off the beaten path, but also has a nice chorus to it. And I'm in. Is it too far off the beaten path? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess so. I mean, could I, I don't think we should put 3 a.m. on. No, we put, definitely shouldn't. Or push. push. I mean, it just seems like well, you were basic. saying Back to Good was their biggest chart hit and some on a technicality on a technicality right um i'm good going with a little uh deeper deeper banger let's do it long day yeah let's do that all right there you go all right so that is the latest addition to the throwback podcast playlist which you can get on spotify and apple music mostly spotify but definitely apple apple music uh and uh we did it bob and we did we learned about ourselves i think we did we learned that I'm not going to, you know what, here's here's my vow. Okay. I'm not going to avoid Matchbox 20 the way I once did. I'm not going to skip over them on uh, a Spotify shuffle. Right. I'm going to respect them because they have they deserve it. It was 30 years of us uh, ignoring them because of a feud that we made up in our head. And now it's time to let that end. And I, and I learned that. If I'm in conversation, you know, when I dismissed my college roommate 20 years ago for liking this band, if I had the opportunity again, and if, if I do meet a Matchbox 20 fan, uh, we will break bread together. <laughs> and we will commiserate over their mountain of great songs. Yeah. Wow, we're, we're fucking evolved. <laughs> we are. We're fucking woke as shit. Look at us. Till next week. <laughs> <laughs>